Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Now you know the reason why they're calling it the generals is that's uh, Pastor Steve's nice way of saying we're old, you know. So uh, I understand what he's trying to say here. But it is a pleasure to be here, and I want to tell you that you would have been extremely proud of your pastor uh, Thursday night and Friday night in uh, 10 miles uh, uh, west, or pardon me, east of Henrietta, Oklahoma, Tiger Mountain, at a camp meeting. Pastor Steve preached on Thursday night about switched and touched. God used that to touch the lives of people. And then on Friday night talked about the passing of the baton from generation to generation. And when fathers won't go, what are sons to do? God blessed and anointed in that camp meeting. And you would have been very proud of your pastor. Well, it's a privilege to be here and to worship the Lord with you. And to just enjoy the blessings of God. And so in being an evangelist for all these years, it is very difficult for me to move into a pastoral role and to preach the same sermon twice. And so you'll notice on your, not, your notes I'm not going to try to do that. I, I believe the Lord's given me a word for you and then I'll do something different in, as the Lord directs in the later service. But this morning I want to turn your attention again, call your attention back to 2 Peter chapter 3 and I want us to read uh, uh, verse 11. Chapter 3 verse 11. Everything will be destroyed. So you should serve and honor God by the way that you live. Since everything around us is going to melt away what holy, godly lives you should be living. And the King James Version just puts it simply like this. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and God-likeness, godliness? So he's asking this question. In the light of what is about to transpire, how shall we then live? So I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about the bucket list. Amen. Well, the movie was released in 2007, and it was simply called The Bucket List. It starred Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. It was a comedy and a drama. That basic thesis was simply this. It's never too late to live life to its fullness. You remember the plot of that movie, if you've seen it, that uh, Morgan Freeman's character, 46 years before in a high school philosophy class, the teacher had asked them to write out a bucket list. The things that they wanted to do, the things that they wanted to experience before they kicked the bucket. But life got in the way. And though he carried that list in his billfold, it simply became a bittersweet memory. Every once in a while looking at it, but job and life and responsibility took over, and he finally comes to the place he realizes he's never fulfilled that list. And now he finds himself in the hospital in a terminal illness, and he meets uh, the, the character of Jack Nicholson, who was a billionaire, and the only list that he ever looked at was the bottom line list. And together they discover that in those last moments of their life,
they can set out on an adventure to do and to accomplish the bucket list before they die. From the exotic of climbing Mount Everest and bungee jumping to the simple of losing weight, spending time with your family, and maybe being reconciled to a loved one, it's never too late to begin life and to live it to its fullness. It's the bucket list. And so bucket list becomes popular now. Everyone talks about what's on your bucket list. And so there's this wonderful cartoon in the paper called Pickles. And the reason I like it is it's about two old guys. One's named uh, Earl and the other is named Clyde. And so Earl is talking to Clyde and he says this. He says, what's on your bucket list, Clyde? And Clyde says, bucket list. And Earl says, you know, the things you want to do before you kick the bucket. And Clyde says, kick the bucket? And Earl says, yeah, yeah, kick the bucket, cash in your chips. And Clyde says, cash in your chips? And Earl says, geez, Clyde, you drive me crazy. And in the next block, Clyde pulls out his bucket list. And he's got number one, go skydiving. Number two, learn to tango. Number three, drive Earl crazy. And he marks a line through that. So everywhere we go, we hear about the bucket list. So I ask myself, is there such a thing as a Christian bucket list? What should Christians do? How should we live before we die, before we kick the bucket? And it brings me back to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because you see, Peter is talking to them about the coming of the Lord. The fact that we live in the light or the shadow of eternity. That the Lord is about to appear. And since we're living in the light of His return, how should we live? What should we do? What should be on our bucket list? In fact, Peter puts it like this. He simply says, you know these things are about to happen. You know that the elements are going to melt with the fervent heat. That the, the earth and everything in it will be dissolved and destroyed. And in the light of the fact that he is about to appear, how should you live? What kind of people should you be? We know the times and the seasons. That now it is high time that we awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. We know that the long suffering of the Lord and the fact that he hasn't come yet is simply the salvation for the lost. We know that if our earthly tabernacle is dissolved, we have one that is eternal, not made with hands, reserved for us in heaven. We know the signs of his appearing. And the Bible said when we see all these things beginning to come to pass, then we're to lift up our head and look up for behold our redemption draweth nigh. We know we're living in the light of his appearing. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It is even at the door. He that was to come will come and will not delay. Unto those that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So since we live in the light of his imminent return, how should we live? What should we be doing? What manner of persons ought we to be in all holy living and God-likeness? How should we serve and honor God? Well, I talked to you about that in Doctrine and Dinner. And I gave you those Advent attitudes that because we're living in the light of His appearing, this is how we ought to live, holy. That's our relationship to the Savior. Harvesters. We ought to be winning others. That's our relationship to sinners. We ought to be helpers. That's our relationship to one another. And we ought to live in hope and in the confidence of his soon return. Another way of saying it is like this. We ought to live connected to Christ. 
We ought to make sure that our calling and election in Him is sure. We ought to live committed to sinners, and we ought to live comforted and, and, and celebrating the fact He's about to return. So if He's about to appear, how shall we live before He appears? Is there a Christian bucket list? And so I discovered a very interesting survey. It was a survey of those people who had lived to be 95 years old and older. And they simply asked those people in that survey, if you could do it over, if you could live it all over again, how would you do it? What would you change? How would it be different? So if you could live your life over, what would be on your bucket list? And there were basically three top things they said. They said, 95 and over. If we could do it over again, these are the three things that we would do different. We would reflect more. We would risk more. And we would live only for things that would be remembered when we're gone. And out of that, I believe the Lord gave me the Christian bucket list. Because since He is about to appear, and we're not sure how long we're going to be here, he could come right now. Or maybe our breath is in his hand and our life is like a vapor. It could be over before this service is over. How should we live? Well, the first thing is we need to reflect more. What they said was we rushed through life. We hurried through everything. We went too fast. It went by too quick. We missed turning normal moments into divine moments. We miss the moments that we wish we could hold on to. We rush through the events of our children and our life. It passed by so quickly and we miss so much. We would like to go back and relax and reflect more. Not hurry so much so that everything in our life would become important. So every moment would become an eternal moment and not something that we simply go through but something that we hold on to. They said we would have stopped. We would have slowed down. We would have smelled the roses. We would have stopped to smell the coffee. Because we found that we had no time for our kids and no time for our spouse and we went through it too hurried. We hurried to work. We hurried to school. We hurried through traffic. We went through the drive through for breakfast so that it would be hot, quick, cheap, and honk at people in the line to get out of the way. And when we were through working, we hurried home so that we could hurry to activities, so that we could hurry to bed. We hurry to church. And so we live in this 30-second soundbite generation where everyone is in a hurry. We've got to do church fast and hurry so that we can go home. To what? To what? What is so important? What are you accomplishing? What are you missing by hurrying through everything? Too busy making money. Too busy buying toys. Too busy laying up trinkets. iPads, iPods, iPhones. I everything. And when you have them, what do you have? Too busy with sports and television. Too busy with non-essentials so that we miss that which is important. Too hurried to feel loved. Too hurried to say thank you. Too hurried to recognize what someone is 
done for you. No time for the kids. No time for the kiss. No time for the word. And we wind up missing those moments. The Bible says our life is like a vapor. It's here in the morning like fog and it burns away and it's gone. It's like a tale that is told and forgotten. It is like a tent that is folded. It is like a fog that rises and the sun burns it away. The Bible says our life is like water that's been poured on the ground and it cannot be gathered up again. It is like sparks, the Bible says, that fly upward into the darkness of the night and are soon vanished. That's the way life is. I know. I can't imagine my son being 44 years. Don't you tell him I told you how old he was. All of a sudden, it goes by too quick. In fact, somebody said life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer that you get to the end of the roll, the faster it goes. And before you know it, we miss. So what the Bible said, if we could do it over. In fact, the Bible said, what are you going to have? Three score and ten, 70 years maybe. And if you go to 80, it's with trouble and pain. Right? That's what the Scripture said. And so we've got to stop. You've got to slow down. Amen. Don't be over anxious for anything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. You can't add one inch to your height through hurrying and being over anxious. In fact, we see it in the Scripture, the life of Moses for 40 years on the backside of the desert of defeat and discouragement and failure. And he's chasing around the desert, herding a flock of sheep that doesn't even belong to him, millions of miles away from his bucket list, his destiny of being God's deliverer. And all of a sudden, God appears on the backside of the desert. The bush burns with fire. It's not consumed. Moses turns aside to see. And what is the first thing God says to him? Take your shoes from off your feet, for you're standing on holy ground. I know you theologians will say, oh, yes, here is the lesser coming into the presence of the greater. And so taking your shoes off is an aspect of respect and submission to a greater. I know that. Another theologian would say, oh, you got to take your shoes off so that there's nothing natural, material, temporal that can separate you from eternal. No, no, no. You know what God said to Moses? Stop! You've been chasing around this desert for 40 years. You've been going in circles around this mountain long enough. You've been herding this flock of sheep that doesn't even belong from you. You're a hundred miles away from your destiny. You need to stop. And some of you need to stop and see God as He really is. The I am that I am. And in the New Testament, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, he went from Jerusalem to Jericho. I don't have time to go into all the, the interpretation of that, but he fell among thieves. He's wounded. He's left half dead on the side of the road. And here comes a priest. Preacher. And he looks on him and passes by on the other side. He's too busy. He's got to go to the temple. He has to offer up sacrificial offerings. He's got committee meetings and board meetings. He's on a ministry assignment. He doesn't have time. And then they said a Levite came by. And he's the pastor's assistant. He's the choir leader, the, the praise team. And he comes and looks on him. But he's too busy. they got to go practice for Sunday morning. And everybody is so busy and hurried that they pass by on the other side. Peter and John 
going up to the temple uh, in Acts chapter 3. You know, that's five years later from the time they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. How many times do you think they went up to prayer at 9 o'clock? In five years, how many times do you think they went through that beautiful gate? How many times did they see that man in that condition and just hurry? We've got to get in the presence of God. We've got prayer to do. We have intercession. We, we're busy. They never really looked at him. But on that day, they took an honest look at who he was. And Peter reaches out a helping hand that brings not only a physical healing, but a spiritual healing as well because they slowed down. These guys said, if we could live this over, we would slow down. In fact, one of the, if you want to go home and do it, do it on YouTube. Look up Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is the premier violinist in the whole world. He has a Stradivarius that cost him $2.5 million. People pay hundreds of dollars in ticket fees to listen to him perform. So you know what they did? They dressed him up in old clothes. He took his Stradivarius and he went to the Metro subway in Washington, D.C. And for 45 minutes that morning in rush hour traffic, people coming to that central subway, he played the most beautiful music your ears could ever... 45 minutes! And out of all that rush hour crowd, two people stopped. One recognized him, and the other was so enthralled by the music that it stopped him in his tracks. Now, it shows on the video. When kids would come by, they would start toward him to hear that, and the, the, the parents would rush him away. And they put $35 in coins in his box and had a 45-minute concert of music that would stir the soul and lift you into the presence of God. And they missed it. Well, we've got jobs. We've got to catch a subway. They were hurried and busy. And that's the way it is. And so we at the top of the bucket list have to slow down. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, we have to redeem the time. We have to buy up and seize every opportunity. We have to take advantage of the moment. We have to stop and see and feel and say. We have to be thankful and show gratitude and listen. Well, one man put it like this. A hundred years from now, it will not matter what you had in your bank account or what was the size of the house that you lived in or the kind or the sort of car that you drove. But the world will be different and better off because you took the time to invest in the life of a child or someone else. Reflect more. Second thing they said they'd do, we'd risk more. We'd take the chance. We'd quit the dead-end job. We'd do the things that we never did. That's why former presidents that are 80 years old are bailing out of airplanes. That's why old men are bungee jump, jumping and doing marathons. Why? Because at the end of your life, you don't regret the things that you did. You regret the things that you didn't do. So you have to be not so conscious. You can't let fear keep you from doing what God really has called you to do. You have to be involved in a risky love. That's the kind of love Jesus had. He took the risk to leave glory and take upon himself the form of a man and become like a servant and being obedient unto death. He came to his own even when his own rejected him. He took the risk. And if we're going to live like God wants us to, some of you need to keep the dead end, quit the dead end situation you're in right now. You need to take that risk of faith. You need to step out to do what God's called you to do.
best example I ever heard was several years ago in Los Angeles. There was this guy that lived in a, a section of row houses. You know what row houses are. One looks just like the other, which looks just like the other, which looks, and they're all in a row. And they were on an incline, on a hill, so that he could look over in his neighbor's yard and his neighbor could look over in his neighbor's yard, and that's the way they spent their time. And so he was sitting there one Saturday afternoon with a six-pack. And the longer he sat and drank, he came up with an idea. He's in a Sears lawn chair. And he said, if I get a couple of weather balloons and fill them with helium and tie them to my lawn chair and get my son's BB gun, those, those helium balloons will lift my lawn chair right about house level. And I can look down on all my neighbors in the neighborhood. When I want to come down, I'll shoot the balloon with the BB gun and come down. And by the second six-pack, it really sounded like a good idea. And so his friend went and got six weather balloons, filled them with helium, tied them to his lawn chair, put the BB gun across his legs, and let go. And his lawn chair with him in it went straight up 10,000 feet in the sky. And now he is absolutely petrified, glued to that lawn chair. He's forgotten the BB gun, and he's floating over L.A. at 10,000 feet in a lawn chair. In fact, he got in the flight path of the LAX airport. And so a, a pilot's about to land. He comes on and says, we have a problem at 10,000 feet. There is a man in a lawn chair. And the controller comes back and says, uh, when you land, we want to see you because you are inebriated. He broke up the flight pattern in L.A. Circle. Finally, as the sun begins to set, the helium evaporates. And as it evaporates, he comes floating to the ground. The moment he's there, the sirens are around him, the police are flashing lights, the medics, the reporters, the cameras. And somebody puts a mic in his face and says, were you scared? And he says, yep. Are you going to do it again? Nope. Why did you do it in the first place? He said, you can't just sit there. Christian, it's time for some of you to realize that you just can't sit there. It's time to get up and be about the master's business. Take the risk of faith. Because it's only as you take the risk of faith that you receive the revelation of who God is and the reward of that faith. His name was Easy Eddie. Some of them called him Artful Eddie. He was Al Capone's lawyer. He was rich. He was involved in all those illegal schemes in Chicago in the gangster's day. And, and, and Easy Eddie had everything money could buy. There was just one thing he didn't have, a good name. And Easy Eddie had one son. His name was Butch. And he wanted to give Butch a chance to have more than just money and material things. But the only way that he could do that was to get out of the clutches of Al Capone. And the only way that he could do that is turn Al Capone in for tax evasion. And he took the risk. And he turned Al Capone in, and you know how he was rewarded? Two shotgun blasts to the head. And when they pulled his body out of that car in the streets of Chicago, found in his pocket was this poem. And it said this, The clock of life is wound but once. No man has the power to just tell when the hands will stop at late or early hour. Now is the only time you own. Live, love, toil with a will. Place no faith in time, for the clock may soon 
be still. Was the risk worth it? Well, Butch graduated valedictorian of his high school class, went to Annapolis. He graduated in the top five of his class at Annapolis, became a, a pilot, and in World War II he flew off of a United States carrier and shot down five Japanese bombers before they could destroy the carrier, received the medal, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Was it worth the risk? Well, when you go to Chicago today, nobody remembers Easy Eddie O'Hare. They may remember Butch O'Hare, hero, fighter pilot. In fact, they named a little airport after him called O'Hare Field in Chicago because one man was willing to take the risk. You see, somebody's got to get up. Nike says somebody has to just do it. Someone like Oscar Schindler has to risk fortune and fame and life to save those 1,100 Jews so that later there will be 6,000 descendants. Somebody like Moses has to take the risk to go to Pharaoh. Somebody like David has to run to the giant. Somebody like Daniel has to keep praying. Somebody like the three Hebrew children has to say, I will not bow, I will not bite, I will not burn. Because it's there that you see the angel of the Lord and the fourth man in the fire. And that risk brings revelation and reward. I don't have time. You read Hebrews 11 for yourself. Because those are those who took the risk. We have to become rosebud people. Soldier in World War II is going overseas, goes into a library, checks out a book of prose. It's all right, but somebody wrote some private notes in the flyleaf, and those notes spoke to him. So he asked the librarian for the address. And when he's assigned overseas, he takes the address and he begins to write that lady. And he begins to tell her how much her comments meant to him and sustained him in times of sorrow and pain and war and how it brought comfort. And they begin to write back and forth. And it, it's beginning to change from platonic to getting interesting. And so he writes and says, send me a picture of yourself. And she writes back and says, no way, if this relationship's going to be anything, it's not based on what we look like. It's based on who we are. And so finally the war's, the war's over and he's coming back and he says, I want to meet you. And she said, okay, you bring a leatherback copy of that book, wear your uniform, and I'll wear a suit with a rosebud on it. And you come to this subway station and when you see the rosebud, you'll know that's me and we'll meet. And so he's in the subway station, he's holding on that book, he's looking across the crowd and finally in the midst of the crowd he sees her. And his heart sings. Middle-aged, dowdy, homely, a little chunky. And all of a sudden he realizes this is not going to be what I thought it was going to be. And he starts to take the book and turn away and he stops and he says, no. Her letters, what she wrote to me, what she said to me, the, the comments in that book, everything she did sustained me. If this is worth the risk. We may never be what I want it to be, but we can be great friends. And he walks up and says, I am Lieutenant so-and-so, and I'm so happy to meet you, meet you, and what you did for me meant so much to me. And here's this book. And she looked, this old lady looked at him and said, Sonny, I don't know what all this is all about. I don't understand this. But there was this lady that asked me to wear this rosebud. And she said this is some kind of a test. And that if you come up and hand me this book, she's waiting for you across the street in that restaurant. And when he goes across the street, the blonde's there. And they spend the next 50 years of their life together. Because he was willing to take the risk to love somebody that's unattractive. It, it, you hurry through life. You don't take the risk. Somebody's got to take the risk. And the last thing that they said 
was that not only would we have taken the risk, not only would we reflect it more, but we would live only for those things that would be remembered, that would remain after I'm gone. After I kicked the bucket, what's left? And so they said we would live not for titles, but testimonies. Because nobody remembers the titles after your name. They remember the testimonies of you touching their life. Oh, you see, Pharaoh had the title. Oh, but Moses had the testimony. The I am that I am. Agrippa had the title. But Paul had the testimony. I've never been disobedient to that heavenly vision. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And the persecutor had become a preacher. He had the testimony. Oh, Pilate had the title. But Jesus had the testimony. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Saul had the title. But David had the testimonies. Saul's killed his thousands. But David's killed his ten thousands. Dorcas... Acts says was dead. But standing around her were all those people holding up testimonies. You, you see this skirt? She sewed that for me. You see this dress? She made that for me. You see this set of towels? She, she, she crocheted these for me. She, she put those together just for me. She didn't have titles. She was remembered for what she did for others. And the only way worth living is to live your life for others that when you are gone, you will live in their memory of the things that you did for them. I get messages on Facebook after 40-some years of ministry and being a president and traveling for 12 and a half years. Ethan, I traveled and we averaged between 38 and 40 weeks a year in local church from coast to coast. And I get Facebook messages from people I don't remember. I can't recall where and when and how and what. And they begin to relate moments. You stopped and you said, I don't even remember it. But they do. And when I'm gone, when I've kicked the bucket, I'll still live in the memories of those that I lived for. I, I'm going to close. I, I I wish I had time to play it for you, but I don't. It's one of the best country and western songs ever written. Amen. I know you don't like country and western, but that's okay. It's called Live Like You Were Dying. And it simply says, He said, I was in my early 40s, 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. And I spent most of the next day looking at the x-rays and talking about the options, talking about sweet time. And I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what did you do? He said, I went skydiving. I went rocky mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend a friend would like to have. All of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times the year that I lost my dad. And I finally read the good book. And I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do 
if I could do it all over again. And then I went skydiving, took the risk, lived for things. Because if you live like you're dying, then you can die like you're living. His name was Timmy Stoddard. He was in Miss Thompson's fourth grade class. And he was a pill. Total disruption, distraction, attention span about five seconds. And when he lost his attention span, he made sure everybody else in the room lost theirs too. And Miss Thompson was frustrated. He couldn't learn. He wouldn't do his work. And she reached the place just before Christmas that she actually delighted in taking a pencil and marking the big F on the top of his work. Now, she should have known better. It was in Timmy's records, kindergarten. Teacher said, Timmy is bright. He's smart. He's intelligent. He, he quickly grasps new concepts and ideas past the first grade. First grade, the teacher said, Timmy is a bright young boy. He's inquisitive, uh, inquisitive and he's constantly seeking new knowledge. And he learns quickly and he's a good student past the second grade. Second grade, Timmy's a good student, but there seems to be some problem at home. We think that his mother's sick and it has distracted Timmy. Past to the third grade. Third grade, Timmy's sullen and quiet. His mom died this year. And it seems to have changed him. Passed to the fourth grade. And now he's Miss Thompson's fourth grade. And he's a total distraction. And Christmas comes. And all the kids bring Miss Thompson Christmas gifts. And Timmy does too. And she saves his for the last. And when she opens them, there's two gifts. A half bottle of used perfume. And a rhinestone bracelet that has a stone on. And when the kids see that, they start laughing. And when they start laughing, Miss Thompson, for the first time, looks at Timmy's faith and sees the pain. And being a Christian, her heart opens up to this hurt little boy. And she quickly puts on the bracelet. And she holds it up in the light and begins to let the light reflect off the rhinestones that remain. And say, see kids how it sparkles? And they say, ooh, and... Ah, and she takes that half bottle of perfume and she puts some on her and then she rubs some on each of the young ladies and lets them all smell it. And the whole attitude of the class changes and as they're leaving and Timmy's the last one going out the door, he stops and looks back and says, Now, Miss Thompson, you look like and smell like my mother used to. And Miss Thompson's heart breaks. And she goes home and spends the Christmas break praying for her and for Timmy Stoddard. And she makes a decision when she comes back to school that she's going to do everything she can to pour herself into Timmy Stoddard. She keeps him in part of recess. She keeps him after school. She pours everything she has in that young boy. And by the end of the fourth grade, he passes. And a few years go by and she gets a note. And it says, Dear Miss Thompson, just thought you'd like to know I graduated high school and I'm the salutatorian of my class. Thank you for what you did for me. Four years later, she gets a, a note and says, As you know, Miss Thompson, I was accepted in the university, and I just want you to know that I graduated today. I'm the valedictorian of the university, and I've been accepted into med school. Thank you for what you did for me. Love, Timmy. A couple of years go by, and she gets a letter and says, Dear Miss Thompson, just thought you'd like to know that I've started my practice. How about that? Dr. Timothy 
Stoddard. And I'm going to get married in four weeks. And as you know, mom's been gone for a long time. And dad's gone too. And I'd like to invite you to come to my wedding and sit where my mother would have sat. Thank you for what you did for me. Love, Timmy. And she did. Because that's the only thing that's important is that you'll live for things that will be remembered when you've kicked your butt. And so, that's my bucket list. I hope it'll become yours. Reflect more. Stop. Slow down. Take the risk. Get up, Nike says. Just do it. And live for others. But don't wait too long. first thing he said is connected to Christ. Make your calling and election sure. In the light of his appearing and the, 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 the destruction of everything around us and an establishing of a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness in the light of his coming. Are you connected to Christ? It's not enough to reflect and slow down, to risk, even to do things that are remembered unless you know that your calling and election is sure. That's the first thing on your bucket list. Get right with God. It's easy. A, B, C. A, I acknowledge that I've sinned. B, I believe that when he died, he took my sins to his own cross. He lives for me. And C, I confess my sins and call upon his name. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, while every head's bowed, while you're just standing here, if you're not connected to Jesus Christ, this is the moment. Right there where you stand. I've sinned, Lord. But I believe you took my sins in your own body and nailed it to your cross, and you live to save me. And I confess I've failed, but I call upon your name. And as I do right now, I'm saved. And I'm changed. And I'm a new creation. And I can leave here not so hurried. Slowing down, enjoying the moments, taking the risk to do the things you've called me to do. And when I do go, I'll live in the memories of those that I touched for you. Make that our bucket list this morning, Lord. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more past resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 